You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology, hosted by New Miracle. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we shed light and bring truth to emerging topics in the communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of New Miracle, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with John Bruner, President and CEO of Aegis Mobile. Welcome, John. Thank you, Rebecca. It's great to be here. Awesome. So Aegis Mobile, uh, you know, for those who follow Numerical, uh, may have seen that we did a press release uh, recently with regards to a partnership uh, that we're working on. And I think it's just a good time to maybe kind of introduce everybody to who Aegis Mobile is uh, why have we partnered and how does this solve some problems in the industry? So I'm going to kind of tee up the Aegis Mobile, uh, give some marketing jargon behind it, but we're going to let John really dive into it. But as kind of an overview, Aegis hunts, captures, and retains live and static open source information to deliver business analytics for brand protection, partner risk assessment, market intelligence, and operational insight and efficiencies. And Aegis delivers its multi-level investigative solutions to its clients through proprietary software tools that integrate data and transform it into actionable information with intuitive interfaces and dashboards that prioritize information and alerts to support decision-making. So that all sounds really fabulous and quite fascinating, but John, uh, if it's one thing that I've learned very quickly, I, I think on the first time that we talked, is uh, you have a lot of passion. You're not there just signing contracts and moving the product. There's a lot of passion behind what you do and and the role that you serve, and that comes from having a background that's in this area. So I really want to hear a little bit more about yourself and uh, Aegis's core competencies and your history around supporting the carriers uh, in this space of risk management. Okay, well, thank you very much. And like I said, it's a pleasure to be here today. Um, just quickly on me, uh, I uh, spent the first 20 years of my career in the mortgage industry, actually working with the mortgage giant Fannie Mae uh, in all kinds of roles, but predominantly in data strategy uh, and IT strategy for the company and the industry. Uh, later, moving into the defense industry, providing software and intelligence solutions uh, in, in that industry. And then about uh, nine years ago, Aegis Mobile was acquired by a private company, and the board asked me to come in and run this company and transform it into a data company. Um, And so Aegis Mobile has a long history, going back to 2007, of providing compliance services to carriers in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, uh, specifically uh, starting in the premium SMS space um, to both vet third-party partners that were going to be selling content, onboard their programs, and test them for compliance prior to launch, secret shopping in the market to intercept the live experience, the advertising, promotions, anything around it to ensure it was compliant. And then later developing uh, intense data analytics on transactions, uh, carrier transactions, as well as complaint data and and, uh, revenue data uh, to gain insights into their business. Uh, We expanded from there into other areas when we realized that we had this expertise in capturing uh, data from uh, live markets into competitive intelligence for many of the carriers as well. We're actually helping them win in the market from a uh, market penetration perspective. Um, But predominantly, what we want to talk about today is our compliance side of the house, which happens to include uh, know know your customer is one part of the total solution. Right. Yeah. And it's really funny. Um, I say funny. 
But being in this industry, we totally crossed paths like years ago, and we don't have to say how many, but it was years ago that I know that we crossed paths and probably worked on the same projects together. So when I had a short little uh, stint in CTIA, it was in the uh, SMS shortcode representing uh, the company that I worked for. And so one of the challenges that we faced, because I was bringing on like large brands to leverage shortcode messaging for prescription reminders or um, airline notifications, right? Uh, with regards to gate changes, ticket changes, whatever it may be. And we absolutely leveraged shortcode messaging. And this was kind of the time when it was first starting to be adopted. We also had to figure out the whole TCPA thing and the FCC rules around that. But going through the shortcode provisioning uh, was kind of my first introduction into this concept of, of vetting for the use of a particular channel. So, you know, that's something that, you know, clearly you have a lot of experience in that space because you stepped up and said, hey, we can, we can come in and help with that vetting and verification. Because as you know, each carrier kind of has, you know, their own needs, um, rightly so. Uh, they should have a say in the types of communications that are traversing their network. And that was kind of my first, you know, introduction to it. So, you know, during those SMS days, you, you had a lot of lessons learned. So it's interesting because the way that we kind of found each other uh, was now over in the voice side. So kind of talk a little bit about how you've gone from very, you know, real matured space with regards to the short co-provisioning and the vetting and it's like you're getting pulled over into the voice side of it all. And where do you see those correlations? Why, why does this make sense? So uh, Aegis actually did the vetting of, uh, of companies that wish to lease short codes for premium SMS for CTIA back in the day. But we also then uh, did even deeper vets for Verizon and for Sprint uh, back, in the, back in that 2009, 2010, 2000, up through 2014 timeframe. Uh, but back then we developed deep relational analytics background checks with very sophisticated data structures that allowed us to um, not only vet the company that was looking to gain access to a short code, but the key employees, related companies and key employees of related companies. And the reason that that was very important back then was for the ability to prevent players that were actually trying to, to commit fraud against consumers from being discovered, removed from a network, and then coming back as a new uh, entity you know, a week later uh, because it was so easy to stand up a new company. Uh, so those deep relational analytics had to prevent people from coming back as new entities. Um, and so that, that was a very uh, helpful uh, start in terms of developing these sophisticated data structures uh, to, to create this holistic vetting platform. Uh, more recently though, with the launch of 10DLC in the US market and RCS going globally, there's a need for higher volume, uh, lower cost verification processes. And so uh, we developed this automated vetting platform that you take a, a standard uh, business record will validate it's an accurate record and process it through as a background check in all of about 10 seconds and pass back a risk score all via an API. Uh, and so we launched in the in the 10DL space, uh, 10DLC space in the United States. We were working with CCMI to do RCS in the United States. And I saw Rebecca speaking on a, uh, a conference uh, uh, meeting where she was talking about shake and stir and, and, uh, and verified caller. And I'm looking at these diagrams that are being put up and I'm like, wait a minute, that's 10 DLC. It's the same model. We're verified sender. This is verified caller. I got to get a hold of Rebecca and see how we get into this industry. So 
Um, <laughs> and we have a mutual, we have a mutual friend who was both like, okay, because I think you reached out to a, our mutual friend, and then he reaches out to me, and it's like, okay, we're just going to connect instead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, we're both doing a little background check. Who is this person? <laughs> and, and we live about a mile away from each other. <laughs> we do. <laughs> exactly, small world. No, I and 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 I think it was right off the bat when we first talked. It was just so many light bulbs. Uh, we're going off because um, a lot of the work that you do, uh, Numerical is doing it manually. And I was just blown away from the presentation. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you can literally do all these steps very fast. And, and we're sitting here doing man hours, essentially. And, and that's the huge value add is your ability to do that bulk, you know, kind of review as opposed to a one at a time. And and we got to talk to some of your agents. So, I mean, they, they were filling our pain points and it was kind of nice uh, from our side. Our agents talking with your agents was kind of like, oh, there's somebody else who understands this world of vetting, um, except, you know, that's what you do all day. Uh, and so, you know, why not uh, partner with the organization that wakes up every single day thinking about how do we make this better for our customers? I'm a huge, huge believer in partnering uh, with other industry experts. So it, it just totally made sense here. But I want to go back to something that you just said. You used that word risk. Um, so, you know, the users of the service that need the vetting, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to them at least in the voice side as service providers, right? Service providers are required now to know who their customer is. And there is a risk associated with doing business, you know, with a certain entity. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what the risk means um, and how a service provider should bring that into their uh, business decision making, whether or not to onboard, essentially whether or not to deliver communications on behalf of this client? That's a, risk is a very interesting uh, conversation because it means something different to everyone, uh, not necessarily as a definition of what risk is, but what is risky to you as a business. A uh, good example is uh, we've done a lot of work in the insurance industry and in the finance industry doing background checks. And one instance was doing background checks on bail bond companies. Uh, took the entire state of California, risk scored all the bail bond companies in California, and we found most of them to be highly risky. And so we met with the chairman of the board of this big insurance conglomerate and presented our summary findings. And they're like, why are you making these companies so risky from a risk score perspective. He said, well, the CEO is in and out of jail three times. They're a member of four known uh, gangs in the area, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they said, wait a minute, being a member of a gang is how they get business as a bail bond company, right? And so when you define risk, it has to be configurable. Uh, for example, RCS, rich content, right, for messaging, the brand is involved, the brand logo is involved. And so copyright infringements, trademark infringements become very important from a risk perspective when you're looking at a company. With messaging, there is no brand uh, involved, but uh, brand logo involved, but there is uh, you know, consumer fraud or any kind of TCPA violation like uh, you know, continuous calling when they've asked you to stop. So being able to configure what are the risk events that you as a brand want to avoid uh, uh, in terms of the companies you're going to do business with has to be a configurable thing based on different industries. And so that's, that's how we approach it. We come up with standard configurations and we engage our customers to then customize exactly how they define risk to their company. And then, then we have a consistent process for applying it for every company we look at. And one of the things that I learned that I didn't even know was a concept that I should have considered um, because this is what you do every day and you're evaluating entities for multiple service providers and clients, 
you've discovered from your vantage point that there are some, and I think the word was like known bad actors. I, I might be getting that wrong, but um, there is this like identified, they're definitely a company you don't want to do with. And it could take a lot of research for a service provider on their own to discover that, but in your system, it literally is a quick hit, right? Uh, against the data to know we have already done this research on this particular entity. And as you mentioned, they're, they're just kind of, they keep popping up. Um, trying to set up new businesses and based on the way that you're able to search it, you can know right away that's on the list of definitely do not do business. It, do I have that right? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, a customized data sort of databases uh, to support do not return lists, I guess is what okay. we call them. Um, typically when we onboard a client, they'll have their own do not return list. We also have uh, gather do not return lists in different industries on our own, but we'll take our clients and it's typically they have a business name and our analysts will build out the related data to that business, including key employees and things like that. Um, and then that becomes part of our uh, checking criteria in the automated vet to see if we can match against any of the information about that company on a new company coming in. So absolutely, that's, that's a key part of what we do. And it's interesting because when we take on new contracts, for example, with the federal government, uh, the food stamp program, you know, they had removed tens of thousands of storefronts that were committing fraud by accepting food stamps for tobacco and things like that. And what wow. they didn't realize is they might have removed one store, but that store was family owned and they had seven other stores. And so the other six stores were still committing fraud on the program, but they, because they didn't do the relational analytics from a vetting perspective, they really had only removed one and only, you know, cured part of the problem. That, you know, and I, I think what you're hitting on is why, and I'm a, such a strong believer in this, is that know your customer, the vetting part of it. You know, we can implement stir shaking, which I know we've talked a little bit about that. We can implement, um, you know, number authorization. There's, and, and we need to implement, to me, this is just a, a channel to deliver data is essentially what these standards are. But all the heavy work, really where we can stop the fraudulent calls happening is the activity at the very beginning of the service provider implements to do that validation. And I don't think we appreciate that part enough in the industry. Everyone's so focused on you know, the standards and they have to because we have this robocall mitigation deadline for submitting your plan and it's, you know, I'm implementing stir shaking, but technology doesn't solve this problem. Uh, it just puts an identity on top of whoever's delivering the call, but the vetting, the identifying, and and really having your own local policy for what you're going to deem as as risk, and that's just another element why uh, we partnered with you is because we've learned enough from our customers that um, they have their own definition, right, of risk. And that's one thing that numerical is not going to get into, and, and you and I have talked about this is. I'm not here to tell you, you know, who you should or should not do work with, but we should at least bring to the forefront, you know, some information that allows you to make the right decision. And I know that that's kind of the approach that you guys are taking too. You're, you're not sitting here saying that we are the czar that tells, you know, who can do business and who can't, but somebody has to perform this vetting part, right? And, and do it um, with a, a high level of due diligence, I think, you know, from the perspective of that. So talk a little bit about that, because I, I know you've got some configurations with regards to how we set, you know, everybody's got to set their own policy and be responsible. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. The reality is uh, for the nine years I've been here at Aegis, um, the lawyers at our clients have become our best friends because they're the ones that are really, you know, engaged in uh, the litigation and other things and the regulatory matters that come out of this. 
And um, the reality is that, um, you know, we work with the brands that are taking the risk to prevent them from doing business with the types of companies that they don't want to do business with. We don't define who they should or they shouldn't. We get them to define it for us, and then we provide a consistent implementation of that through a unique configuration for that specific industry or that specific business channel, or that specific client. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, uh, we also do it in a fully auditable way so that any kind of dispute that comes up, any kind of litigation or regulatory matter, we've had years of experience producing you know, the actual results of what we found or what we did or how we did it uh, that could be used, uh, you know, to protect the brands that we work for. Yeah. But again, it's really them that are, you know, that have to define what risks they're willing to take and what risks they're not. And it's our job to consistently implement that for them. Yeah. And I think that goes in line with, I know that there are some conversations um, of about, you know, having one company like vetting entities. And I think that's where we go wrong. Um, really this concept of vetting is nothing new to know your customer. It comes from the money laundering side, right? And, and we actually do better when we have multiple entry points. Let's say it's the banks, the financial institutions, all performing their own vetting and their verification, uh, as opposed to one entity who decides who can and cannot do business. It will fall apart if that's the approach we take. Not to mention, you know, John, this is, this is a global issue. A um, little bit arrogant for the United States to say, hey, we're the decision makers on anyone and everyone in every country who's allowed <laughs> to deliver communications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get behind it. I'll be on the forefront fighting against that. So, you know, I, I think it's all about, you know, I think we've done the right thing with the Trace Act um, with regards to giving the SEC the authority that they need to regulate the service providers uh, to push down that requirement of, you know, know who your customers are. And one way of doing that is by implementing the standards uh, for the attestation. This all circles back around to attestation. Everybody's favorite word. I'll actually be really glad we don't have to say those words anymore. I'm tired of hearing about it, but A, B, and C, right? And so what you offer, and that's why Numerical uh, reached out to you, is because we're, we're, we're a little bit closer to that stir shaken solution side of it all. And I know you've been in the SMS side. Now we're kind of bringing you over into the voice side. It's just such a really good fit to be able to wrap up the work that you're doing and tie that down to why I, as a service provider, made the decision to label this call with A-level attestation. It means more than I have a contract, which some service providers are going to go, well, I got a contract and the credit card swiped. Good enough for me, Right fine. I think some people are going to be able to get away with that uh, in the beginnings. But as the uh, enforcement side uh, starts to get busy and identifying companies, uh, service providers who aren't implementing any kind of vetting, I think it's when, when we're going to see a shift. And, I, and I've told you, I was like, business is going to boom for you. <laughs> it should boom come towards the end of this year and into next year. Uh, because um, there, there's going to be an expectation of what that is. And I think it'll get defined um, as we go and we have enforcement. I think everyone will become very crystal clear on what the expectation is for how they should set their local policy. And since this concept of know your customer and vetting, as you mentioned, is in the SMS space and also in the voice, I don't see, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, I don't see 
one side of the table, like from the voice side saying, okay, we're going to define what vetting is. And then it ends up conflicting with the texting side. Like there has to be, there has to be some kind of like umbrella over it. And I don't know if you're already seeing how two different sides of, of the, of the carrier side have different expectations. And I just don't know how we reconcile that in the industry. Is there any insights that you have from that perspective? Well, so far, we've been pretty lucky to get the carriers on the messaging side in 10DLC that are participating to agree on a specific configuration of risk, what kinds of regulatory matters, what kinds of international sanctions, what kinds of legal matters are relevant to uh, cause reductions to uh, a, a company score. Um, it's been interesting, but we've actually gotten them there, and there are thousands of things that we're looking at. So to get them there was a big success, quite honestly, to the same place. Um, I think what we're also seeing so far, because we're so new into voice, though, and of course, this is the first time Aegis has been in voice. We've been around for almost 13 years working directly with carriers, uh, but uh, this is the first time we've actually been on the voice side. Usually we're on the value-added services like location services, identity platforms, IoT platforms, things like that, um, and, and, message, and messaging. Um, but, but what we're seeing with our current uh, implementations for voice is most are trying to adopt the same thing that we put in place from a risk perspective for messaging so far as of now. I think RCS will be a little bit different uh, than voice because they're gonna wanna look harder at uh, logo validation and ownership of that logo. I think as, uh, as the voice side for uh, Shake and Stir goes in that path to actually represent a logo, they'll probably wanna adopt that as well, uh, that extra checking uh, in the background to make sure there's no trademark or patent violations or anything like that that would uh, indicate a possibility of using somebody else's logo that you're not authorized to use. Absolutely. And and that's a good point that you brought up. And, and I'm not saying this, so I hope nobody from the federal government's listening to this podcast and getting ideas. But <laughs> um, I think you bring up a really good point that um, that could be a new realm that we enter into with uh, companies who maybe potentially could go after ensue service providers who allowed someone to initiate communications with their logos. I think there's a huge risk. Now, we don't know what that world looks like, and I'm not a lawyer, and I don't know what, you know, what rights a, a company would have, but maybe they do come under the trademark you know, violations that you put my logo in. There's no record of us ever allowing you to do that. Um, where I feel like maybe this uh, could be used fraudulently is maybe with the warranty calls that are sent out. Maybe they want to use uh, Ford or, you know, Nissan or something like that and make people think, oh, well, I got a logo on this call, therefore I can trust it. So I have a lot of concerns and reservations for a quick launch of rich call data. I think we have to get some of these protective measures in place. Um, even on just the uh, allowing, you know, entities to deliver calls. But when you start putting in the logos and maybe call reasons, we, we really stand an opportunity to erode all trust on the voice channel. I think it's everyone's responsibility to implement proper due diligence because we all want to leverage this communication channel, whether it's voice, text, or whatever other channel to deliver information. Um, no pressure, John, but like it's really on you. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, get this right. We'll be ready, Rebecca. We'll work together on that. You know, we're, we're doing it for rich content messaging. Yep. We're developing that for rich content messaging, and it'll be, you know, usable by yep. rich content calling. Perfect. So, you know, I think uh, at this time, uh, Molly, let's turn it over to our audience to ask um, some questions. And do we have any questions you'd like to pose? Yes, we do. So let's start here with 
How do voice service providers deal with the subjectivity around vetting, or is it as black and white as good actor versus bad actor in telecom? I want to let John answer that one. Well, thanks. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll cue in with my thoughts, but you're the expert. Yes. So the way that we set it up is we actually provide all of the different types of uh, outcomes that we can find when doing a background check on a company. So all of the legal types of actions, all of the regulatory types of actions, all the sanctions and watch lists and terrorist lists and things like that. And we work with our customers to assign weights uh, to each of those. We also uh, work to assign uh, adjusters based on years in business and company size. So for example, if I put, please, I hope they're not on the call, but if I put AT&T into our system, they're going to come back with thousands of legal matters, right? And if I only take one point off for each one, it's a problem because they're going to get a zero uh, from a score perspective. And so we have all kinds of adjusters that based on, are you a Fortune 500 or a Russell 3000? How many years have you been in business? How many employees do you have? What's your annual revenue? How many countries do you operate in? You know, all these different things that take into account, um, you know, how to, to risk score a company appropriately based on the types of risk you're afraid of, such as spam calling. Um, if these legal matters have nothing to do with consumer harm, uh, and they're all about uh, personal injury on college campuses, and you're, you're you know, running a college uh, through this vetting system, you know, those actions may come back, but by working with your customers, you weight those as zero because they're not relevant to the risks you're trying to prevent. Um, so it's just, it's a very configurable process. It may sound like setup is very hard, but it's not. We have templates and forms to do that, um, but, but that's the approach. I hope I'm answering the question. Yes, and, I, and I'm going to add to that because um, that all that work that John mentioned, and I know he rattled it off in a few short seconds, it's actually a lot of work to do that. Um, and you have to have an understanding, like you mentioned with the Fortune 100s, there's a lot of data points that you have to take then that are not necessarily available. Like you can't just do Google searches for some of this information. You have to have an understanding of the industry that you're evaluating. You have to have an understanding of um, the structure. There's just a lot of data that comes back when you do all of this betting research. And that's what um, uh, Aegis has been able to put together is really kind of taking the manual thought process that you would have to do literally on every single individual vetting and put it into an algorithm. And that's powerful. I cannot stress that enough, um, knowing because that's what we did at Numerical is all that work. So that's an extension that we're looking forward to offering to our customers uh, to be able to leverage. And, and like you said, it, it's not complicated, but it allows for the service provider, whoever needs the services for vetting, to be able to tailor it to your local policy. And chances are you're probably going to change it. I mean, that's what you do with policies. You evaluate it once a year. And one thing I know about Aegis Mobile is if there is something new that should be considered, they're going to be the ones that are focusing on that and updating their systems. So you don't necessarily have to stay in the know in this whole world. There's like literally, it's, it's, it's a whole career set. I don't know if people realize that. Like this is an entire career. You can get certifications. Um, our internal have gone down that certification path. It's a lot of work and a lot of investment. Um, and service providers who are originating calls, it's not your job. Like, why would you spend so much money on hiring all of these resources when you can just partner with someone who already offers those types of services? So I'm just, you know, big believer in that aspect. So uh, Molly, I think we have one more question and it's probably all we have time left for. Okay, we've got one more. So uh, this question is, what's your number one piece of advice for carriers out there who want to keep pace with the new requirements for KYC and customer vetting and don't know where to start? 
I had no idea I was queuing up the next question because I feel like I, I sold <laughs> ages on that. Uh, John, do you want to answer and or I can go first, whatever. I'll let you go okay. first this time. So um, my number one advice, at least from the carrier's perspective for KYC, you're not going to find, let's talk about where you're not going to find it. You're not going to find KYC inside the stir shaken standards. And that's not the place for it. It's just not. Um, where you will find it, number one, go look at what the FTC is doing from the enforcement side. They got these beautiful public reports uh, where they talk about what their final decisions were uh, with regards to uh, Globex, which is one that we all know about. They actually detail. You could literally take that as your policy and make and have that as a starting point. So I think that's a great place to look at is the enforcement side. KYC, as far as the requirements of it, I just mentioned, this, this is a well-established industry. Um, I'm going to say don't look to voice service providers to tell you uh, what KYC should be. This has been around for a very long time. Um, so Molly, maybe something that we can do in a blog somewhere is I'll put a list of all the different areas of standards around uh, the know, know Your Customer Framework. Um, that are very useful and helpful in understanding how you set up your own process. And then again, if you want to get into the space of monitoring and tracking fraudulent activity in companies, you can start a career down that path. Um, so I know you said one piece of advice, but that was to where not to look and where to look. All right. Well, that takes us to the end. So we would like to thank all of you for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Talks. We hope to see you all again on Tuesday, June 15th, where... We'll be joined by special guest Kevin Ruby to discuss everybody's favorite topic, robocall, mitigation, data blaze. With that upcoming deadline on June 30th, don't want to miss this episode. Thank you, everyone, and have a great day.